a little war, maybe even a stupid war, but it's their war, and they're willing to pay. Pay big. The Zarlor mercenaries. Seven elite mercenaries prepared to fight battles on the mendicant planet. Seven elite mercenaries hired by the rival Zarlors to kill everyone and everything. Seven elite mercenaries with their own individual powers and skills. Franco Nero plays Scorch, a master laser shooter. Franco Giacobini plays XQ-49, a robot built to perform menial household chores until something went wrong. Tony Musanti plays Landru, a powerful fire demon warrior. Giovanna Raleigh plays Brenda. She may look like an angel, but inside, she's all killer. Eduardo Fajardo plays Spike, a good warrior to have on your side, but whose hard life drives his deadly paranoia. Franco Russell plays Rex, a deposed king bent on lethal revenge for the loss of his kingdom. And future Oscar winner Jack Palance plays Zetarog, a strange creature from an unmapped territory whose greatest weapon is speed. Together or individually, whether fighting in the Kadmar Desert, the Mizort Swamp, the Dokrit Sea, the Sedamore Domes, the Mardic Ice Caps, or in Sedmite City, the Zarlor mercenaries destroy everything for a price. Don't miss Zarlor Mercenaries, an Avco Embassy release, coming soon to this theater. Zarlor Mercenaries, if it moves, they shoot it. If it doesn't move, they shoot it anyway. Rated M for mature audiences only. Eat, sleep, links, repeat. This is the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is episode 11, Zalor Mercenary. And now, here is your host. Mark Little. Thank you, Monty. Howdy, howdy to all my fellow Linksters out there. I would like to welcome you to the Atari Lynx Handicast. Today I'm zooming in on the very last Atari Lynx game. You mean alphabetically, correct? Oh, oh, certainly that's what I mean, Monty. I've still got 60 games yet to cover over the next five years. Five whole years? Really? 
Also, today's game is the last game I'm covering that originated at Epics Incorporated. Today's game is part number PA2030, Zorlor Mercenary, developed by Epics Incorporated and published by Atari Corporation. Of course, you all know the drill. This episode of the Handicast, like every other episode, includes all of the usual segments, vital statistics, credits, gameplay, reviews and ratings, fun facts and trivia, and some very welcome listener feedback. But before we can don our Zarlor threads, fire up our wing cannons, and begin our invasion of Yorith, the mendicant home planet, there is a little bit of Link's news that I need to cover for you first. Linkston. For my first Linkston note, Jasper Van Turnhout, also known as Ninjaba on Atari Age, and who released his critically acclaimed homebrew game Wyvern Tales back in May of 2018, has now released a new teaser demo that he has developed for what could potentially become another homebrew title for the Atari Lynx. The demo is called Nomad Rally 2018, and anyone interested in viewing the demo in emulation or in downloading it to a multicart can find it linked in the Lynx links in the show notes. In other homebrew news, Martin Went, Zamel Wolnikowski, and Bruno Morais, known collectively as Prior Art, have also released a new homebrew demo for the Atari Lynx. This one is entitled Funky Christmas 2018. Rabid Linksters may recognize Went and Wolnikowski as two of the developers of the eagerly anticipated upcoming homebrew game Lockham's Legacy. A zip file of this new demo can be downloaded from a link in the Lynx links in the show notes. Luxsoft in Germany is now taking pre-orders for two aftermarket titles, both to be shipped on April 1st, 2019. Space Battle is a Harry Dodgson prototype from 2000. It will be available packaged as a single cartridge or as two cartridges for two-player gaming. Both versions will come complete with curved lip-style cartridges inside a full-color carton, along with a manual, poster, and collectible lapel pin. The game can be played by up to eight players using the Comlinks cable. The other game, Quadromania, was discovered in 2013 by Alex Thyssen, also known as LX.net, who, by the way, provided high-res scans of his hand-drawn Slime World maps to the Handicast, and a little bit more about that coming up, and who released a very limited run of 20 copies of the game in 2017 through Beta Phase Games. Now, Alex has secured permission from RPM Software, Robert Maydorn, to market a new run of Quadromania through Luxoft. It will also come complete with a curved lip-style cartridge inside a full-color carton along with a manual poster and collectible lapel pin. On that same subject, I want to point out that I have incorporated up-to-date price lists of the available aftermarket and homebrew titles that are currently on sale at Luxoft in Germany, at Songbird Productions in the U.S., and at Telegames in the U.K., I plan on updating these lists in the show notes of each episode of the Handicast from this point on, just to make it easier for us interested Linksters to find those titles from these three major distributors. Just check under the Links links in the show notes as every episode comes out to get the most up-to-date availability for aftermarket and homebrew games for the Atari Lynx. Finally, just in case any of my Linksters out there somehow missed it, I wanted to point out that there are two new posts at AtariLinksHandicast.net to augment my coverage of Todd's Adventures in Slime World, the game I covered in the last episode of the Handicast. As I mentioned in that episode, 
Back in 1992, the aforementioned Alex Thyssen from the Netherlands, or LX.net as he is known over on Atari Age Lynx forums, had created hand-drawn copies of the cave maps from the six single-player adventures of Todd's Adventures in Slime World. He had posted PNG scans of all six maps, both on Atari Age and on his blog page, Diary of an Atari Lynx Developer. Unfortunately, the maps he had posted were all low-res scans, making them less than helpful to players of the game. However, by request, Alex has graciously provided high-resolution scans of those same Slime World maps, and they can now be viewed and downloaded at atarilynxhandicast.net. I also want to give thanks to Bobby Tribble, who was able to identify the carton cover artist for Todd's Adventures in Slime World. I was able to contact that artist, Mitch O'Connell, who very graciously provided high-res scans of some of his artwork for Slime World, as well as for the Atari 7800 games Ikari Warriors and Basket Brawl. These images are now posted at atarilynxhandicast.net. Thanks, Mitch. And also be sure to stick around for an audio submission from Bobby Tribble, coming up later in the episode. So, without further ado, let's explore today's game, the classic shmup, Zarlor Mercenary. A mercenary is an individual who is hired to take part in an armed conflict but is not part of a regular army or other governmental military force. Mercenaries fight for money or other recompense rather than for political interests. In the last century, mercenaries have increasingly come to be seen as less entitled to protections by rules of war than non-mercenaries. Indeed the Geneva Conventions declares that mercenaries are not recognized as legitimate combatants and do not have to be granted the same legal protections as captured soldiers of a regular army. In practice, whether or not a person is a mercenary may be a matter of degree, as financial and political interests may overlap. Statistics. Zarlor Mercenary was originally released by Atari Corp. in October of 1990. The initial retail price of the game was $34.99 US and £29.99 in the UK. And as I said earlier, it is the final game I will cover in the Handycast that originally began development at Epix Incorporated, maker of the handy handheld console that later became the Atari Lynx. Zarlor Mercenary is likely a 128K stereo game released originally in a curved lip-style cartridge. I say likely because the Fact File article for the game in the February 1991 issue of Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine states that the cartridge was 1 megabyte in size. But since this article also refers to mendicants as both murdicants and medicants, all on the same page no less, I will take much of the info contained in it with a grain of salt. And for what it's worth though, the article does include some very helpful graphics of the seven characters and three of the six end bosses and the many power-ups available in Zarlor Mercenary. You can check out the fact file article and the links links in the show notes. Zarlor Mercenary is a top-down vertically scrolling shooter for one player or two to four players using the comlinks cable. 
The screen playfield orientation for Zarlor Mercenary is landscape or horizontal. There were no ports of Zarlor Mercenary to any other systems, and there were no sequels produced for Zarlor Mercenary as well. There are six levels in Zarlor Mercenary. They're called missions in both the single and multiplayer versions. The missions are level 1, Kadmar Desert, level 2, Mizort Swamp, level 3, Dokrit Sea, level 4, Sedemore Domes, level 5, Mardic Ice, and level 6, Sedmite City. Packaging The carton for Zarlor Mercenary is a regular sized, full color, standard flap tab style carton, 5 and 3 8 inches high by 4 and 3 8 inches wide by 7 8 inches deep. The front of the carton looks like this. The background of the carton front cover is black. Most of the cover is taken up by an illustration, outlined in a red frame, of a sleek twin burner spaceship in the foreground, firing lasers and torpedoes at a large array of futuristic-looking industrial infrastructures and space pods in the center and in the background. There's a large purple moon above the horizon in the background. Generally, the artwork in this is orange and lavender in color. Superimposed across the top of the cover art is the title. In large, metallic, capital block lettering is the word Zarlor. Below that, in smaller, thin, silver capital letters, is the word Mercenary, with a small, white TM to the upper right. Across the bottom of the carton, again not the top this time, as has been the case for past games that I've covered, is the standard Lynx logo gray and black cartouche that I've described many times before. Next to the cartouche at the bottom left, against the black background, is the Atari Fuji logo. And finally, next to the cartouche at the bottom right of the carton, is the standard Comlink's yellow triangular banner, with the words up to four players in black block lettering, with the word links in broken font lettering in black below that, then the word up in broken font lettering in black below that. All of the verbiage in the yellow triangle is oriented facing upwards at a 45 degree angle. The back of the carton for Zarlor Mercenary looks like this. The background is white, with a thin red frame surrounding most of the graphics and verbiage. Across the top, straddling the upper horizontal bar of the red frame, is a small version of the title in the same lettering style as that on the front of the carton. Below that are two screenshots from the game. The first screenshot, positioned in the upper left, depicts the Mercenary Mercantile screen with four mercenaries pictured on the corners and available power-ups and weapons in the center. To the right of this screenshot, in large red italicized lettering, are two sentences. If it moves, shoot it. If it doesn't move, shoot it anyway. Below that, on the lower right, is a screenshot that depicts an action screen from the first level, Mission 1, Cadmar Desert. It's a top-down view showing attacking warships at the top, with industrial machinery and buildings on a tan background below that. The score in Zarbits, which is the currency for the mercenaries in this game, is pictured in the screenshot at the upper right in white numbers on a black background. To the left of this screenshot is the following paragraph. Wanted. Hot gun for hire. Travel to several exotic dangerous places. Discover several exotic and dangerous aliens and kill them. Kill lots. For cash. Buy more weapons and kill again. Bring up the three friends along and kill even more. Below that is a smaller version of the Atari Lynx logo cartouche. It is straddling the lower horizontal bar of the red frame. Finally, at the lower left of the back of the carton is the Atari Fuji logo in black. At the bottom center of the carton is the following copyright info. Atari, the Atari logo, and Lynx are TMs or R registered trademarks of Atari Corp. 
Copyright 1990, Epics Incorporated, Zarlor Mercenary is a TM of Epics Incorporated, licensed to Atari Corp. Copyright 1990, Atari Corp, Sunnyvale, California, 94089. Finally, at the bottom center of the carton back, all rights reserved, printed in Hong Kong, made in China. Then, as usual, the official seal of the FBI is depicted on the right bottom of the carton, bracketed at the top by the usual phrase, Winners don't use drugs, and at the bottom with the name William S. Sessions, Director FBI. Printed on the upper left inside tab of my carton are the numbers CA400419-030 and C3981000-030. Finally, printed on the bottom left inside tab of my carton is a small circle with the numbers 1 through 12 surrounding it, similar to a clock face, but the number 10 is missing. Inside the circle is printed the number 1990. This indicates that the original print date for the carton was in the 10th month, October, of 1990. Above the circle are the initials GC. As I mentioned in my last episode, episode 10, Todd's Adventures in Slime World, based on what I found out at the Video Game Variations website about Atari VCS or 2600 game cartons, GC was apparently one of several printing houses that Atari used between August of 1987 and June of 1990 to print what is known among 2600 game collectors as the Red Box Cartons. This makes sense as the letters GC appear in almost all of the printed materials, cartons, booklets, manuals, and posters for the Atari published Lynx titles during that time. By the way, there was also a carton for Zarlor Mercenary released in French and one released in Japanese, plus there was also a blister pack marketed. All three of these carton variations are a bit harder to find though, at least here where I am in North America. The Manual the instruction manual for Zarlor Mercenary is a stapled, regular-sized booklet in monochrome, measuring the usual 4 and 7 eighths inches high by 3 and 3 quarters inches wide. There are 20 pages in the manual, including the front and back covers. Across the top of the front page of the manual is the standard cartouche with the Atari Lynx logo, outlined as usual in light red, almost pink, and the Atari Fuji logo bracketing the Lynx logo at the left. Beneath the logo are the words Video Game Manual. Down the right-hand side of the manual is the usual gray vertical band with faux embossed Lynx font X's. Uh, the remaining cover art is a monochrome version of the carton cover art and title. The inside of the front cover of the manual includes two paragraphs of boilerplate info about the accuracy of the printed manual, followed by the Atari Corporation and Epics Incorporated copyright information and Zarlor Mercenary trademark information. The next page after that, labeled page 1, includes the heading, Take No Prisoners. Throughout pages 1 and 2 are the following paragraphs. It may be a dirty war, a little war, maybe even a stupid war, but it's their war, and they're willing to pay. Pay big. Agents in this business have never been real refined. This guy was no exception. His hair was slicked back like the wet pelt of a Eurythian sweat weevil and his suit was exactly what the fashion-conscious Zarlor was into. He could almost pass for respectable. Almost. But I liked what I heard. Coming from him, it was almost poetic. I made the mistake of showing up on time and already had three tanks in me when he skulked in and started to whisper his proposal. Even though we knew that every ear was straining to hear our conversation, the other patrons tried not to look interested. Territory wars I'd done before, no problem there. Both sides were rich. Mining, hydroponics, data trade, but both were lousy fighters. 
their dirty little war had been hopelessly deadlocked for years, but, like most rich cultures, they were both too proud to hire outside help. Professional help. Until now. I liked the Zarlor's plan. It was clean. Not all-out war, just a series of six surgical strikes at key industrial and commercial sites on Yorith, the mendicant's home planet. The idea was to collapse their military and disrupt the economy just long enough for the Zarlors to land their prefab bases and get dwellings established in the disputed areas, the fabulously mineral-rich outer planets of their star system. I was hot for a job, and the deal was right. A solo job, orbital shot, completion bonus, and I could pick my own equipment. And money. Lots of money. There was nothing left to say but yes. As I left the bar, an Anklon sitting at the bar spat at me and hissed, Zarlor mercenary. And I guess that's exactly what I am. Page 3 through the bottom of page 4 includes the getting started instructions and the optional game controls. Beginning in the bottom of page 4 and on to page 6 are the instructions for playing the game, which I'll outline a little bit more in detail in the playing the game segment coming up. Pages 7 and 8 include a schematic of the action window seen during gameplay. Pages 8 through 10 outline the six levels, or missions. Pages 10 through 12 include descriptions of the seven characters, or mercenaries, that are in the game. Pages 12 through 16 of the manual include a schematic and description of the mercenary mercantile, or the store, where players can purchase power-ups and weapons between the missions. Pages 16 through 17 outline strategies for playing the game successfully, along with how the score, in Zarbits, is calculated after each mission. And finally, the back cover of the manual is mostly blank, except for the Atari Fuji logo at the bottom, with the Atari Corporation 1990 copyright information beneath that. My copy of the manual includes, at the very bottom of the back cover, printed in Hong Kong, then GC 10.1990, indicating the original print date of October 1990, then the letters and numbers C398102-030. And as far as I can determine, the manual for Zarlor Mercenary that was released in the United States was available in an English-only version. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief vintage advert. sells death to the highest bidder. He'll sell your life for what he thinks it's worth. He is the mercenary. If you're not ready to buy, be ready to die.
Zarlor Mercenary was developed by Epix Incorporated, as I've stated. It was originally created and designed by Chuck Somerville during his time at Epix. Chuck is a well-known game designer, both for this game and for his work on other Epix titles, notably various ports of Summer Games, Winter Games, and California Games. He is probably best known for creating the immensely popular game Chip's Challenge for the Lynx, a game I covered in Episode 09 of the Handicast. In addition, he provided assistance on other early Lynx titles, Blue Lightning, Electrocop, Gauntlet the Third Encounter, and Gates of Zendikon. You can hear more about Chuck's work, especially as it relates to Chip's Challenge, by listening to an interview that I did with him and with LX Rudis in 2018. There's a link to both the audio and the YouTube video of the interview in the links links in the show notes. <coughs> Graphics for Zarlor Mercenary was created by Matthew Christdale. Christdale also provided artwork and or graphics for three other Lynx titles, Electrocop, California Games, and Todd's Adventures in Slime World. He currently works at EA, or Electronic Arts, on their NBA and NFL titles. <coughs> the levels, music, and sound effects for Zarlor Mercenary were completed by Christopher Grigg. Besides this game, Grigg was also the sound engineer for Xenophobe, and he also provided sound and music for Todd's Adventures in Slime World. Grigg created three musical cues for the game, the title music, which you'll hear in a minute, was reused in both Missions 1 and 4. The music he created for Mission 2 was also reused in Mission 5. And the music he created for Mission 3 was reused in Mission 6. <coughs> Additional programming for Zarlor Mercenary was provided by Stephen Landrum. In addition to this game, Landrum, an early engineer at Epics Incorporated, provided programming and engineering work for the very first Atari Lynx game, Blue Lightning. Handycast will return after this podcast promotion. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. After installing the Zarlor Mercenary cartridge and pressing the on button, a silent static screen appears. The words Zarlor Mercenary, TM, in silver-gray lettering, similar to the title on the carton cover, appear across the center of the screen against a star field. The curved surface of a planet appears at the bottom of the screen. At the top is the Epix logo in white. 
and the words Licensed to Atari Corp. appear in red capital block lettering below the title. After a few seconds, this screen is replaced by an animated title screen. The word Zarlor, TM, slides in and down from the top left of the screen, and the word Mercenary slides in and up from the lower right of the screen, taking up a position in the top third of the screen. A tan and brown desert background, ostensibly the Kadmar Desert, with industrial pipes and infrastructure, scrolls from the bottom upwards. Then the words Copyright 1990 Epics and Licensed to Atari Corp. in red capital block lettering slide up from the bottom to a position below the title. Below that, the credit titles slide in alternately from the right and left of the screen in red capital block lettering, with the credit name in larger white lettering sliding up from the bottom to match them, cycling through in brown capital lettering. Pressing either the A or B button clears the screen and brings up the character selection screen and a drum-like underscore. The same screen also serves as the mercenary mercantile screen between each mission of the game. The screen is divided into quadrants, two on the left and two on the right, with metal industrial looking gray doors. In the single player games, only the upper left door opens to reveal face shots of each character, with the corresponding character name written beneath in capital lime green lettering. In multiplayer games, each of the four doors open to reveal the characters. The frame around the character strobes through different colors until a selection is made using the D-pad. The seven available characters are Scorch, who looks like a bald man, XQ-49, looks like a robot, Landru, a shadow character with red eyes, Brenda, a buxom blonde, a punk rocker with a silver mohawk hairstyle, Rex, a beefy Conan the Barbarian type with a red headband, and Zetarog, a green alien with tentacles. In the center panel are 12 smaller gray doors that will only open if enough funds, again in Zarbits, are available to purchase them. During the character selection mode, these doors remain closed. In the lower center of the panels is a large door that opens to reveal the instructions in yellow lettering on a black background. Who are you? Pick your character and press button A. At the bottom of this screen is a small readout which cycles through the power-ups and weapons to be used in the game, each one listed in lime green lettering. Laser, button B, wing cannons, power shots, auto fire, back shooter, side shooters, and speed up. As each weapon is listed, the corresponding door above opens to reveal a graphic of the weapon. After a choice is made from the available characters, all of the doors on the screen close and a new status screen appears as the mission level music begins playing. This screen is mostly gray with an industrial type background. In the center is a panel that reads in yellow lettering, SCORE, with an arrow pointing to the upper right of the screen indicating in yellow the number of Zarbits that have been accrued by the player so far. It's zero at the beginning, of course. Below that in blue lettering is SHIPS LEFT, with an arrow pointing to small blue blocks, with an arrow pointing to small blue blocks positioned below the SCORE field. Below that in red lettering is BOMBS LEFT, with an arrow pointing to small red blocks positioned to the right of the SHIPS LEFT blocks. Below that in green lettering is HEALTH, 
with an arrow pointing to the far right vertical green bar. And below that in yellow lettering are these instructions. A. Fire missiles. B. Fire laser. Opt 1. Megabomb. And Opt 2. Music on or off. After about 5 seconds, this panel is replaced with the mission number and the title in large white lettering across the center. The upper and lower background panels then move up and down to reveal the action screen, and the mission level begins. From the Zarlor Mercenary Manual. The object of the game is to destroy mendicant craft, cities, buildings, and other strategic targets. If you do well, you will be paid richly. Earn enough Zarbits to buy extra warships and more sophisticated weapons. You begin the game with a fleet of warships. The number of warships in the fleet depends on the number of players in the game. One player receives four warships to start the game, two players each receive three warships, and three to four players each receive two warships. At this point the gameplay is pretty simple, and it's somewhat intuitive in how to get through each of the six missions. Each player controls his or her warship with the D-pad to move up, down, left, and right. Pressing A fires the cannon. and pressing B fires the laser. If one is available, pressing option 1 fires the mega bomb. In multiplayer games, each player's warship is a different color, and they work together to destroy the enemy. From the manual, If one player has a little trouble with the concept of teamwork, a few quick blasts from the dreaded backstabber will provide an unforgettable lesson. But players in multiplayer games should always play nice, in my opinion. Throughout the gameplay, the health bar on the right indicates the condition or health of the warship. Green is healthy, yellow indicates poor health, and red indicates critical health, and a loud klaxon blares, informing the player of an imminent death. When a mission's boss or bosses are successfully defeated, the warship flies upward towards the viewer and the upper and lower metal panels close indicating the end of the mission. The mercenary mercantile then opens up and the player or players may choose from the available weapons and or power-ups depending on the amount of Zarbits available to him or her which is indicated below the player's character graphic. Hovering over each available weapon or power-up with the D-pad indicates the cost in Zarbits of each item, and pressing the A button purchases the item. If enough Zarbits are available, multiple quantities of a given weapon or power-up can be made. The available weapons and power-ups are the Super Shield, which protects against damage and gradually restores health, Invisibility, which hides your warship from other players in multiplayer games. An extra ship, pretty self-explanatory. Power shots, which are more explosive ammunition. Lasers, which fire at mendicant ships with pinpoint accuracy. Auto fire, which shoots automatically, thus giving one's thumb a much needed break. Mega bomb, which destroys all the enemy ships on the screen. The back shooter, which fires at enemies in the rear the side shooters, which shoots from both sides, and the backstabber, available only in multiplayer games, which allows a player to fire from the rear at other players, thus hogging all the glory for him or herself. It will not damage enemy ships, though. Some power-ups, such as the lasers, the speed-ups, the auto-fires, and the power shots, can also be grabbed during gameplay by hovering over the corresponding floating circle when they appear. 
It's important to note that a player or players can, if they'd like, sell power-ups, weapons, and even ships back to the mercenary mercantile. Also, players in multiplayer games can gift some of their Zarbits to other players, thus helping in the purchase of a weapon or power-up that could aid the entire mercenary team. In any case, after all the purchases have been made at the mercenary mercantile, the player uses the D-pad to move to their character graphic, then presses the A button to exit the shop and begin the next mission. Again, it's all pretty intuitive, but keep in mind that Zarlur Mercenary is easy to learn, but boy is it hard to master. Sure, Zarlur Mercenary is basically a wild and woolly shooter in the best sense of the word, but there are some strategies involved in playing it. Here's what the manual says. Shoot at everything that moves. Shoot at everything that doesn't move. Learn to anticipate enemy flight and shot patterns. Learn where power globes appear in each level. Those are the orbs I was telling you about earlier. The Merchant of Venice never buys weapons at full price, so don't buy anything that you don't really need. Use a forward cannon and laser together to make your warship a devastating machine. You can destroy enemy ships by bumping into them. Although this is effective, it also damages your warship and does not earn any money. Kamikaze pilots die young, so do this only as a last resort. If you decide to use the backstabber, invisibility is highly recommended. And never, I repeat never, give peace a chance. If a player loses all of his ships, a screen appears with a graphic of a crashed warship smoldering on the planet's surface with a desolate underscore. And the following words in yellow lettering. Your last ship plummets to the churning battlefield. Then the words, With failing strength you reach out for your precious winnings. Then, But all the riches in all the galaxies cannot save you now. The entire screen is replaced with a gray metallic industrial style graphic, with a graphic of the player's chosen character against a flashing blue and black background in the upper center, with the word DEAD in red letters stamped diagonally across the character's face, with the final Zarbit score beneath that and a rank awarded. I've seen both Dead Meat and Bloodied posted under rank. I'm assuming that the character chosen has something to do with what rank the player receives. If a player survives the final mission, said Might City, by defeating the final end boss, Two hundred and fifty thousand Zarbits are awarded, and a new screen appears with a futuristic underscore. In yellow lettering against a green and black alien landscape are the words, You have, have conquered, conquered the, the enemy. enemy. Then a red warship zooms into the foreground and then out to a distant landing on a mountain base, and the following caption appears. Triumphant, you return to planet Zarlor to claim your earnings. Then, you are glad at the dazzling mountains of Zarbits filling your ship. Then a panel opens up in the lower right quadrant, showing a graphic of stacks of gold Zarbits and money bags sitting on shelves behind a graphic of the player's chosen character. 
Then the panel closes and the following words appear. But your mood quickly sours as the gold rubs off in your hands. Counterfeit! Then the distant warship then zooms up and away to the right from the mountain base and a panel in the lower right quadrant indicates a close-up shot of the left hand of the player's chosen character pushing a red button. Then the distant warship shoots a yellow missile at the mountain base causing it to explode. The following words appear. They should have known, never cheat a Zarlor mercenary. Then the entire screen is replaced with a gray industrial style graphic with a graphic of the player's chosen character against a flashing blue and black background in the upper center, the final Zarbit score beneath that, and the rank awarded, total winner. And that, in a mendicant nutshell, is how you play Zarlor Mercenary. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief vintage advert. On some Atari Lynx games, you can link up four players. But there's only ever one winner. Atari Lynx, the portable video arcade. The reviews for Zarlar Mercenary ranged from poor to pretty good. Generally, the reviews that were contemporary with the release of the game were much more critical than more positive reviews that were posted long after the Lynx was gone from the market. In any case, there were no bad reviews, but that may only be because the eternally negative video game critic didn't bother reviewing the game. Please remember that links to the complete reviews and ratings for Zarlar Mercenary that I summarize here can also be found in the Lynx Links section of the show notes. Here are some of the highlights of the reviews I found. Clayton Walnum, the former editor of ST Log Magazine, wrote in issue number 39 of Start Magazine in December of 1990, Swarms of alien craft, all firing at once, pepper the air with shots. As you struggle to destroy the attacking aliens and blast the ground targets, you'll begin to understand what people mean by the term control pad ache. This blastathon will please all players with a thirst for destruction. Interestingly, the byline in the magazine about Clayton Walnum stated that he was working on a book about the Atari Lynx for Hayden Books, but I could find no information about when or even if the book was ever released. The review crew in issue 19 of Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine in February of 1991 provided these ratings and reviews for Zarlar Mercenary. Steve gave the game a rating of 5 out of 10, saying... While the graphics are great, the options are interesting, and the power-ups are well-designed, the game moves too slow. Ed also gave the game 5 out of 10, saying, Where's the action? This game just can't get out of first gear. Martin also gave Zarlor Mercenary a 5 out of 10, calling it just an average shooter for the Lynx. And finally, Sushi X, of course, gave the game a 5 out of 10, asking, How do I turn off the slow motion? Not Atari's best attempt. In the February 1991 issue, number 111, of the UK video game magazine Computer and Video Games, reviewer Paul Glancy said this about Zarlor Mercenary. A decent-looking shoot-em-up, but quite difficult and not overly exciting to play. He gave the game an overall rating of 74% out of 100%. In the March 1991 issue, number 5, of the UK magazine Rays, reviewer Les Ellis gives Zarlor Mercenary 83% for graphics, 
Great intro and trading scenes, good backdrops with smooth scrolling. 72% for playability. Gameplay sacrificed for graphics, too repetitive for the price. And he gave 70% for sound. Decent blasting effects, no option to turn off in-game tune. Excuse me, Mark. That's not quite true, is it? Uh, no, it isn't true, Monty. Pressing the Option 2 button does mute the music, although the sound effects remain. I'm not sure what version of Zarlor Mercenary List was playing. Maybe his Link's 1 Option 2 button was on the fritz. An undated review by Hawanja at Ultimate Console Database summarizes Zarlor Mercenary this way. I'll pay you not to play this game. Graphics, very detailed and not bad looking, but very choppy animation and scrolling. It gets so bad, and sometimes when the screen is full of stuff, you have no idea what is going on. Sound? Crap. Utter crap. The sound for the explosions is the same sound used on the old Atari 800 computers. This handheld is supposed to be a 16-bit machine. Please tell me it can do better. Gameplay? Frustrating. Boring. Pointless. Like this game. Hmm. Awanja is, or was, definitely not a fan of Zarlor Mercenary. Veteran writer Robert A. Jung's 1999 review of Zarlor Mercenary ends with this verdict. A great no-nonsense action game, perfect for people who love the shoot-it-if-it-exists philosophy. The game itself is not easy, and the addition of four-player team-ups and cash payments, transfers, power-ups ensure quite a bit of variety to the game. Though there are only six levels, they are quite varied and should offer many challenging hours to the average player. Jung gives the game a rating of 9 out of 10, or excellent. Jay DeLuna, in his 1999 review at Game FAQ, summarizes his review of the game with this. Zarlar Mercenary is a great game. That's really the gist of it. If you like shooters, this game is definitely for you. And if you're a Lynx owner, this game is worth it just because it shows off the Lynx's muscle. Zarlar Mercenary is a play for all. He rates the game 4.5 hearts out of 5. Outstanding. Govi provided this summary for his 2006 review of Zarlor Mercenary at GameSpot. In my view, this was one of the best games the Atari Lynx ever had, and it gave me such enjoyment. This is in my Hall of Fame for the Lynx. At the same website, Guthulhu, in a 2007 review for Zarlor Mercenary, said, This shooter is quite fun to play with a fair amount of replay value in the form of the different pilots and upgrades. The multiplayer is what makes this one a winner. There's nothing like blasting aliens with your friends, especially when you can take your allies out instead. Lynx fans should definitely give this one a go. It's one to have in the collection, even though it's not the greatest game ever. It'll keep you occupied for a while, especially if you have friends you can play with. Jeff Fulton, also known as 8-Bit Jeff and co-host of the excellent Into the Vertical Blank podcast, provided this summary for the game in his 2012 review that is posted on his blog page, 8-Bit Rocket. Zarlar Mercenary is pure class. For me, it is the cream of the Lynx library. The only problem I have with the game is the need for so much button mashing, but it still gets a 95%. Kyle Knight at the now-defunct website AllGame.com reviewed Zarlar Mercenary in 2013, saying, This game has some good ideas, like giving you the ability to earn points by blowing things up and then spend those points to buy ship upgrades. That gives you the incentive to destroy everything in sight instead of just coasting along. But it also has other ideas that don't quite work out. These ideas strip it of the excitement commonly associated with more traditional shooter games. For that reason, shooter fans, its primary target market, are likely to find the game a bit disappointing. 
He gave the graphics four stars out of five, sound one and a half stars, enjoyment two and a half stars, replay value three stars, and documentation two and a half stars. Finally, John McQueen, in his 2018 review of Zarlor Mercenary on AtariGamer.com, gave the game an overall rating of 9 out of 10. Here's his summary. This is a stellar Lynx title with plenty of replay power, and it's difficult to master. The fact that I cannot find a lot negative with it is a pretty good sign that it's not too shabby. The great graphics are icing on the cake for a top-playing shmup, and there's plenty to occupy you here on a plane trip or a couch relaxation time. Buckle up. Zarlor Mercenary awaits. Mark's review. My own review. Wow, what a great game. But what a hard game, especially level 2 Mesort Swamp, which was, to me at least, the hardest level to finish. But as many may know, I am a fan of shmups, and Zarlor Mercenary ranks right up there with my faves of all time on any system. Here's what I like. I like the graphics. A lot. The sprite movements, the scrolling backgrounds, the imaginative layout of the worlds in each mission, all make it hard not to appreciate the artistry of the game's look. I also like Christopher Griggs' music, limited though it is among the different levels. It really serves well as a tone setter for the purpose of the game. And finally, I love the sheer mania involved with shooting every single thing in sight, whether it's flying at you, shooting at you, or simply walking across the landscape minding its own business. No need to think about friendly fire in this one, unless playing in a multiplayer game, which having only one cartridge of the game myself makes it unlikely I'll ever do so. Yup, shoot at everything and ask questions later. Or don't ask questions later. Doesn't matter. And I don't mind the slowness of the scrolling that some reviewers took issue with. Heaven knows I need it to see what's coming down at me as soon as possible on a landscape-oriented screen. I can't imagine how much more awesome this game would have been if it had been done for a screen-oriented and portrait mode. And here's what I don't like. There are just two things that I think could have been done better in Zarlor Mercenary. One, the explosions are pretty much the same throughout, no matter what weapon is being used. I think that incorporating different sound effects for the weapons, especially when the player is in the zone maniacally blasting away, might have made this game seem a little less repetitive. And two, the music, although it is well done, doesn't really change too much from level to level. And given that there are only six mission levels anyway, I think some musical variety for the different landscapes would have served the game better. So here's my links out of five that I'm giving Zarlor Mercenary. Gameplay, five links. Graphics, five links. Controls, four links. Music, four links. Sound effects, four links. And for my overall rating for Zarlor Mercenary, 4.4 links out of 5. And that's it for the reviews of Zarlor Mercenary. The Atari Lynx Handicast will return after this podcast promotion. 
Berg, where should I go if I'm interested in learning about Atari games? Atari 2600 games? Yeah. Well, you could check out my podcast, the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. Is there a list somewhere where I can get all of the shows and I can figure out which show I want to hear first? Yes, there is. Now, my friend Jose has made that very list that you're speaking of, and you can find that at 2600gamebygamepodcast.blogspot.com if you check in the link section. Okay. And, and would you be doing more of these shows? I'll be doing every one of these games for the 2600, so I'll be doing this and for another decade. <laughs> every single game? Every single game. I'll take it. How much do you want? I don't want anything. It's free. <gasps> Atari 2600 Game by Game Podcast. Also available on iTunes. facts and trivia. Prices at online auctions. Single loose cartridges on eBay. There were six of them sold, ranging in price from $13.13 up to $22.82, averaging $22.75. Single CIBs on eBay. There were three sold, ranging in price from $23.60 to $90, which was a Japanese CIB, averaging $59.52. There was one lot that included loose cartridges of Zarlor Mercenary, Rampart, Gauntlet the Third Encounter, Awesome Golf, Blue Lightning, Hard Driving, Hockey, and Roblasters, and they all sold for $48.64. There was also one lot that included CIB copies of Zarlor Mercenary, Double Dragon, Robotron 2084 and Shadow of the Beast, and that sold for $184.99. There was also a Zarlor Mercenary Prototype PCB, or Printed Circuit Board, that sold on eBay for $135.50. Pricecharting.com averages $16.61 for a loose cartridge, $17.50 for CIB, $38.84 for NIB, for a carton only, and $4.38 for a manual only. Digital Press gives a value of $12 for a loose cartridge of Zarlor Mercenary, and RarityGuide.com gives Zarlor Mercenary a value of $58 for a new in-box copy, $27 for a complete in-box copy, and $11 for a loose cartridge. Prices at other retailers. The price list systems at B&C Computer Visions in the U.S., crashed on August 3rd, 2018, and they still have not been restored as of this record date. Best Electronics is selling CIB copies of Zarlor Mercenary for $28.50 and Loose Carts for $19.95, but please keep in mind that the price list has not been updated since May 31st of 2018, so they might be out of stock by now. The Gamesman store in Australia is selling new in-box copies of Zarlor Mercenary for $28.50 Australian. The Goat Store has no copies of Zarlor Mercenary. Telegames in the UK has copies of Zarlor Mercenary for sale at £12.49, but they do not specify whether it's a loose cart, a cart manual combo, or a CIB or NIB copy. And finally, Video 61 in Atari Sales has new in-box copies of Zarlor Mercenary for $49.95. Rarity. Atari Age gives Zarlor Mercenary a rarity score of 3, which is scarce. 
Scarce cartridges are those that you don't find in every pile, but you will find them often enough. Although you may have trouble tracking down every scarce cartridge initially, you can eventually get them all. Atari Gamer gives Zarlor Mercenary a rarity score of 29 out of 100, which is common. A little harder to find and starting to get some rarity. Both the French and the Blister Pack cartons of Zarlor Mercenary get a rarity score of 36, which is uncommon. Starting to get difficult to find, but still accessible. AtariGamer.com does not provide a rarity score for the Japanese variant of Zarlor Mercenary. Digital Press also did not provide a rarity score for Zarlor Mercenary. RarityGuide.com gives a rarity score of 69% out of 100% for Zarlor Mercenary. High Scores Here are the recorded high scores in Zarbits for Zarlor Mercenary. There were no scores posted for Zarlor Mercenary on original hardware at HighScore.com. In emulation, however, the top three high scores for Zarlor Mercenary are 232,065 Zarbits by S. Baz in Eugene, Oregon on August 24, 2018. 78,495 Zarbits by Original Gamer in San Francisco on March 25, 2018. And 8,917 Zarbits by Kernsey in London on October 19, 2014. There are no high score records posted on Twin Galaxies for Zarlar Mercenary. For the Atari Age High Score Club, 2010 First Half of February edition, here are the scores that were posted. 340,331 Zarbits by Eric Delee, 201,277 Zarbits by Battlezone, 108,410 Zarbits by Atari Smeghead, 82,960 Zarbits by Darth Kerr, 41,816 Zarbits by Roadrunner, and 4,906 Zarbits by Horst. The Atari Age High Score Club also posts a score of 100,132 Zarbits, level 1 only, by Fuse Zaxman under their all-time high score list. My own high score, 191,816 Zarbits on January 21st, 2019. I completed all six missions, but I used the cheat code for 100 warships, 100 megabombs, and full ammunition. More about that cheat coming right up. Cheats, hints, and easter eggs. As I mentioned, there is a cheat code for Zarlor Mercenary listed on GameSpot.com and several other websites that allows the player to begin the game with 100 warships, 100 megabombs, and full ammunition. The website provides a series of D-pad presses and button presses to achieve this cheat. I tried this code at least 20 times without any luck. Finally, on a hunch based on the programmer cheat codes and the Game of Life Easter Egg codes that I'll be describing in a minute, I tried inputting the D-pad and button presses at the character selection screen with the option 1 button pressed down the whole time. Voila! It worked! 100 warships, 100 megabombs, and unlimited ammo. The character you receive is named Epix, E-P-Y-X, and the character graphic is the same that is used for the Zetarog graphic, except that it's upside down. The reason I originally had such a hard time getting the code to work at all was because GameStop.com makes no mention of inputting the D-pad and button presses at the character selection screen, nor do they mention to do so while holding the Option 1 button down completely. So, if you want to try this cheat, you'll need to remember that. The same website also provides a cheat code to receive 19 warships, 20 megabombs, full ammunition, and refreshing energy, but I have not tried that one. 
If that one doesn't work for you, then try it at the character selection screen with the option 1 button pressed down the whole time. Regardless of which cheat you try, be diligent and make sure that you press the D-pad and buttons slowly and methodically. may take a few tries. There are also cheat codes posted on GameSpot.com that allow the player to choose one of the four credited programmers, Chuck Somerville, Matthew Crisdell, Christopher Grigg, and Stephen Landrum, as their character. When the code is correctly entered at the character selection screen and the option 1 button is pressed, the programmer's name and face appear, and the player receives full ammo and refreshing energy. All of these cheat codes can be found linked in the links links in the show notes. The Atari Lynx Hint Book, published by Atari in 1993 for Lynx game developers, provides some hints on playing Zarlor Mercenary, especially during the impossibly hard Mission 2 Mesort Swamp level, a level that I could only get all the way through with the cheat codes. The hints are listed on pages 68 and 69 of the book, and I have provided a link to a PDF of the book in the links links in the show notes. Finally, there is an Easter egg in Zarlor Mercenary. By holding down the Option 1 button at the character selection screen and pressing up, down, left, right, up on the D-pad, The Game of Life, a classic computer game from 1970 created by John Horton Conway, appears. I accidentally initiated this game during my many attempts at the 100 Warship Cheap code that I mentioned before, but I never did go any further into the game. More info about the Game of Life and how to play it can be found beginning on page 70 of the aforementioned Atari Lynx Hint Book, which is linked in the Lynx links in the show notes. The Atari Lynx Handycast will return after this brief vintage advert. I made 50000 in the stock market today. <laughs> I had twins! I went to the poor farm. I'm on Millionaire Acres. That's life. The game of life. The game of life. You will learn about life when you play the game of life. First you start out with 2,000 and a car. I got a car. You got a car. Then you may go straight to college just to get a lot of knowledge. Harvard. Or to business if you think you'll go as far. I'll be a star. You may go far. The game of life. The game of life. Hey, I'll get revenge. You'll get revenge. I got revenge. You got revenge. Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So play the game of life. That's life. I've gotten a good czar bit of feedback, see what I did there, from a few loyal linksters about Zarlora Mercenary, so let's get right to it. Facebook comments and messages. After I posted a goofy photo of myself on the Atari Lynx Handicast Facebook page, soliciting feedback for the Zarlora Mercenary episode of the Handicast, I received the following comment from Benjamin Ray. If it moves, shoot it. To which Kevin Strayed responded, Personally, I find the game difficult to start out. Although I will admit I haven't played it a lot. A majority really enjoy this game, so I'm sure it's just me not learning it enough. 
After I posted a link on the Atari Lynx fans Facebook page promoting the Zarlor Mercenary episode of the Handicast, Igor Croman of the AtariGamer.com website said, Glad you're back and at it, Mark. And John McQueen, resident game reviewer at AtariGamer.com said, Great episode. Cheers for the shoutouts. Thanks, guys. And as I responded, Thanks, Igor. I'm shoving life out of the way. Or living on the ragged edge of disaster. Not sure which. That about covers my Facebook feedback. Now let me move on to Twitter. Twitter, tweets, and messages. Gruntmeister and I had a brief discussion about Alex Thyssen's hand-drawn cave maps for Slime World after I tweeted that Episode 10, Todd's Adventures in Slime World, was available. As I stated earlier in the LinkedIn notes, Alex did, in fact, provide high-resolution scans of his Slime World maps, and I posted them on AtariLinksHandicast.net. Thanks, Alex. I got one Twitter comment about my tweet soliciting feedback for this episode, again using the same goofy photo from Facebook of me holding the Zarlor Mercenary game carton. It was from James Friesen, who commented, Zarlor Mercenary is one of my favorite Lynx games. Sadly, I loaned my copy to someone and never got it back. Weeping face emoticon. Well, that's bad news, James, but it's not too late to get back into the Lynx. Just saying. Emails. Moving on to emails, I received one email about Zarlo Mercenary from Eugenio, or TrekMD on Twitter in Atari Age. Here's what Eugenio wrote. Hello, Mark. I hope you had a great holiday season. Happy New Year. I finished listening to the Todd's Adventures episode, and I have to say that I had to laugh. Both you and Shinto pretty much have it against the video game critic. It's okay, since I know he doesn't always get it right. I have noticed that he doesn't like games that are more complex to play and gives them low ratings. He's done that for Intellivision games as well, and Paul has some fun at VGC's expense in a number of Intellivisionaries podcast episodes. At least he has scores by readers, so that that kind of balances it out. Anyhow, maybe I should get to the topic at hand. A certain Atari Lynx game called Zarlor Mercenary. I'm just going to start by saying that this has got to be one of the best, if not the best, shooters on the Lynx. The game gives you the choice of four characters to select, each of which has their own type of weapon. Actually, it's seven characters, Eugenio, but four at a time. Once you select your character, the action starts, and boy, is it real action. There are plenty of enemies to shoot down, and there are enemies that are unique to any given level. The bosses at the end of the levels each offer a different challenge, but thanks to the variety of weapons available, you can handle the challenge. Now... You do know that you're a mercenary, right? You're not destroying enemies just for the fun of it. There are rewards for you as you complete levels, and that's how you are able to get new weapons. Yep, you get to visit the mercenary mercantile when you complete a level, so you can make use of your stash. What more can a good mercenary want? Zarlor Mercenary has fantastic gameplay, great graphics, smooth scrolling, good control, and good sound. It would have benefited from more in-game music, but, alas, I guess it could not be perfect. Did I mention that you can play with up to four other friends via comlinks? What are you waiting for? Go get your mercenary bounty. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Well, thanks for the feedback, Eugenio. Yes, you are certainly right that I have a problem with many of the video game critics' critiques of Atari Lynx games. And I guess Shinto is less than enamored of his Atari Jaguar game reviews as well. Whenever I read one of his reviews, especially if it's a particularly nasty one, I read it imagining the voice of Bill Needle in my head. And if you don't know who Bill Needle is, just check out some videos on YouTube by typing SCTV and Bill Needle. 
They're hilarious, as is most anything from SCTV, in my opinion. I'm going to give you a chance to get up and walk off this show. If you don't do it, so help me, I'm going to knock your block off. Now get up and go! Go on! Anyway, your own review of Zarlor Mercenary falls right in line with mine, so I guess we think alike. I only wish I had some Linkster friends nearby that I can con links with to see how Zarlor Mercenary plays in multiplayer mode. So, if you're ever up in the Atlanta area, let me know so that we can try it. As always, thanks Eugenio for your valuable feedback, and take care, amigo. Audio submissions. Wow, I've received no less than four audio submissions for Zarlor Mercenary. That's great, Linksters. Keep them coming. First of all, I received an audio submission from Curtis Herod, or Cujo, at 86Cujo on Twitter. Here's what Curtis had to say about Zarlor Mercenary. I decided to take a flyer on Slime World. I mean, can you blame me? Sure, the ship looked good, but as soon as you went subterranean, who wanted to look at all that ooze? You know what I'm saying? Even if you had eight people with you, who wants to see all that slime at once? Enough said. But, I did make it on time for Zarlor Mercenary. How do you not love this title for the Lynx? I mean, any fan of the executor scene in Empire Strikes Back probably fell for this game. I mean, let's do roll call. Did they have their IG-88? Yes, they did. Did they have their Dengar? Yep. And did they have their Boba Fett? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to call him Landru. That's who I picked. Power weapons, if I recall. This game has a lot of entry points for me, but first, did anything hit harder than that first level? I mean, you had the desert aesthetic, you had vibrant colors bouncing off it, and of course, that kick-ass music. I enjoyed the mini-boss battles, creativity along the way. They had me psychologically. I'm an outsider. I'm down with mercenaries, so this one's easy for me, and I love the ending because I didn't play through with everybody. I'm pretty sure your employers tried to cheat you. And you think you're going to clown a Zarlor mercenary? <laughs> I don't think so. You got to raise a glass to the creative team on this one. Cheers, guys. Right on, Cujo. Didn't notice the similarities to Star Wars until you pointed them out. Thanks. Yes, how could any shooter fan worth his salt not like this game? Really, it is the ultimate shoot 'em up of all time. And Cujo, it's okay if you didn't like the ooze from the last episode. Todd's Adventures in Slime World is a great game, one of my faves in fact, but I do like Zarlor Mercenary a little bit better. Non-stop action, that's the ticket. Thanks so much for your feedback, Cujo, and cheers to you too. I also received a first-time audio submission from Scott Terrell. Here are his thoughts on Zarlor Mercenary. Hello Mark, Scott here. I wanted to send in this submission. Um, I actually tried to get Zarlor Mercenary working on an emulator. I unfortunately do not have the cartridge and was able to get it running uh, in the handy emulator, but uh, couldn't get the buttons mapped for like the option and uh, the second button. Um, so it made it hard to play. I kind of could get the gist of it, um, but I don't feel like I could really give the game a fair shake without getting all the controls working properly. Uh, and unfortunately trying to use the keyboard controls uh, just didn't work for whatever reason. Uh, and I didn't have a chance to really dig in too deeply to why the emulator wasn't working. Uh, so I figured instead maybe I would just um, send in um, 
Zarlar mercenary um, feedback later, hopefully once I get the cartridge. And instead, just talk a little bit about my history with the Lynx. Um, I actually uh, wound up buying the Lynx when I was um, in high school uh, after it came out. And uh, I believe it was, it was the first system that I bought myself. So that was exciting at the time. And I wound up uh, picking it up at a local child world, uh, which was a competitor to Toys R Us. I'm not sure if it's like a regional thing or not, um, but I think they've long uh, gone out of business. Um, but yeah, I remember I, I was a big Atari fan back from the 2600 days and remained loyal to the brand, uh, wound up getting an Atari 8-bit computer and an Atari ST. And I remember uh, at that point feeling like things were a little bit stale with the Atari line, um, the ST, Kind of hadn't been updated in a little while, and uh, the 8-bit obviously was starting to get to the end of its life, and the 7800 obviously was not a great competitor to the NES, uh, at least didn't do well in the marketplace. Uh, so things were looking kind of dire, and I remember when the Lynx came out just being absolutely blown away by it and thinking that um, it was really uh, far exceeding the competition at the time. So that really got me excited about Atari again, and um, I was excited enough to save up my uh, my money and uh, pick one up when they came out. And I remember picking it up with California Games, and obviously that was the pack-in. I got the uh, Lynx one because it was right at launch, and it came with California Games, and I picked up Electrocop as well and played the heck out of those games and really enjoyed them. And, you know, at the time, uh, nowadays, we're so used to carrying around our um, electronic devices, like these really awesome cell phones that are like supercomputers for the time back then, uh, and having laptops and tablets that we can carry around. Uh, but back then, it was just such a new thing to have such a personal device like that that you could carry around with you and, and just... It just felt so futuristic for the time. Um, and I remember really getting an attachment for the Lynx. Uh, and another thing that uh, gives me a really fond memory of the Lynx is that I wrote a game review for a magazine that I subscribed to, um, ST Informer, and wrote a review for Dracula um, for the Lynx. And it actually was published to my surprise. I kind of just sent it in unsolicited. And that was really exciting uh, for, you know, a high school student to, to you know, get something published in a, in a nationwide magazine like that. You know, fast forward a little bit. Uh, after college, I found that I wasn't playing uh, with my Atari stuff too often. Uh, so foolishly figured, oh, I'm not using it now. I probably won't in the future and wound up selling off pretty much all of my Atari stuff including my Lynx, um, which I amassed quite a few games for it with the carrying case and everything. And so anyway, pretty foolish. You know, I had a Jaguar that I bought uh, at KB when they heard, uh, had those all, all on clearance and even had the uh, CD-ROM uh, attachment to it and wound up selling all of that stuff. And, of course obviously regretting it. Um, and then listening to your podcast really got the bug for 
uh, playing the links again. So I had mentioned to my wife that I was thinking about picking one up. And much to my surprise, uh, this Christmas under the tree was a nice uh, Lynx 2 unit with a few games in a carrying pouch. Uh, so I was very excited, very surprised, um, thrilled to have that. So now I've just placed an order for some of the cheaper games and trying to build up a little bit of a collection again. And uh, hopefully someday I'll have a Milk Well screen and SD card and all that good stuff. But uh, work my way up to it, and uh, hopefully I'll have the, I'll have some of the games that you'll be covering soon. And I'll be able to send in feedback uh, specifically for the games that you're covering. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say great job on the podcast, and thank you so much, and keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to provide an audio submission. And it's okay if it's not that much about today's game. Any stories related to the links are ones that I want to hear. Sorry that you couldn't get the button properly mapped on the handy emulator for Zarlor Mercenary. Yeah, having a working Option 1 button is essential in this game in order to use the Mega Bombs. I'm not really familiar with Child World toy stores, by the way. I worked at Toys R Us in the early to mid-1980s, and I don't recall ever seeing Child World before. The main competition to Toys R Us at that time, at least here in Georgia, was Lionel Player World, whose parent company I discovered in Wikipedia was actually in talks to merge with Child World's parent company before they both finally went bankrupt in the early 1990s. I envy your time as an early Atari Lynx owner. I didn't get my first Lynx until only two years ago. And kudos that you had two great games back then. California Games and Electrocop. By the way, what other games do you remember owning? And I must say that you are indeed a lucky guy to have a wife who supports your hobby. Great score on the Lynx 2 at Christmas. My wife supports me too, so I know firsthand how special that is. I would recommend that you do go ahead and get the McWill screen, by the way. I can't say it often enough, the transformation is absolutely amazing. And, like you, I'm still waiting for Saint on Atari Age to ramp up production again of the Retro HQ SD Multicart. By the way, I couldn't find your review of Dracula the Undead from ST Informer magazine on the internet anywhere. If you still have a copy of your review, please share it with me and I'll be sure to include it on the Handicast when I cover Dracula the Undead. That will be episode 58, tentatively scheduled to be released in December of 2022. Um, thanks, Monty. Uh, hey, Monty, are you mocking Bishop from the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast? On the contrary. In fact, Bishop and I are close artificial intelligence acquaintances. Okay, whatever, Monty. Anyway, Scott, I hope you have fun with your new links. Thanks so much for your kind words about the Handicast. Keep listening and linksing. And thanks again for your audio submission. The third audio submission I received was from Bobby Tribble, who relates his memories of Zarlor Mercenary, but also of an earlier game I covered, California Games. Let's listen. Hi, this is Bobby Tribble, and I'm excited to record my next feedback submission, Zarlor Mercenary. Didn't own it. All right, well, that was easy. Let's go make a sandwich. Let's get out of here. It is true that I didn't own Zarlor Mercenary during my prime days of Lynx playing, but I did go ahead and give it a try via multi-cart 
and it just didn't grab me. I'm already not a fan of shooters, overhead shooters, whatever you call them, and Zarlor kind of takes the route of throwing a bunch of bullet sponge enemies at you, at least at the beginning, and that's fine. I know this game does have a lot of fans, and it probably picks up more as you get weapons in your arsenal, but basically it's just a game that's not for me, and so I never really got started on it. So this one gets an absent from lunch rating on my Link's lunch eating game scale. I can see why this wasn't a pack-in game. You know what was a pack-in game? California games. What a segue, nailed it. I never actually played any version of California games other than the Lynx version. Well, I take that back, my friend Darren did show me California games on his computer for about 10 minutes one day uh, back in the day, but I never really visited his house that much, so that was my only non-Lynx experience with California games. I uh, got the deluxe set Lynx with the carrying pouch in California games. It was a really sweet deal, and I played so much of California games. Uh, of course, I checked out Hacky Sack or Footbag, uh, though to me, that's the weakest of the bunch. Your mileage may vary. So I figured out the Halfpipe game and had some fun with that. And of course, I played a lot of surfing, figuring out the correct angles to gain speed, going up and down the wave, jumping off the wave and adding spins to it until I could get up to the Unreal 360s and even an occasional WoW 360. You know, um, come to think of it, I've seen some surfing videos and I've never seen anyone actually jump completely off a wave in real life and land back on it like that. But that's the magic of video games. I really played a lot of BMX. I never exactly got great at it, but something about it kept drawing me in. I think it was a, a so-called flash physics game before anyone knew what that was. First off, I've heard that trick about riding above the grass line, uh, gnarly, like totally not aggro, only Total Valley would do that. In fact, I generally stay right in the middle of the track, which will keep you between a lot of the obstacles. You just have to learn the course and remember where it's safe to jump, where it's safe to flip, and where you can sometimes flip, hit your tire on the ground, and flip the other way an insane amount of times. Uh, if you ever play the Trials series, uh, like Trials Fusion, it's kind of like that. So, uh, I kind of passed by this, but the half pipe does have a learning curve, but yes, anyone can totally do this. You too can be a half-pipe pro and impress all your friends. So here's how you do it. First off, if you have the California Games Manual, turn to the page that shows the instructional chart for half-pipe, tear it out and throw it in the trash, because it's completely confusing. The main thing to remember is that you can give A a quick tap and your skateboarder will turn around. When you're going down the half pipe, press down. When you're going up the half pipe, press up. Doing this will make your skateboarder gain more and more speed. Just remember, when you're done going up the pipe and you're almost stopped, press A to turn around so you can start going down. Starting the event, down, up, turn. Just press A really quick to turn, don't hold it. Down, up, turn, down, up, turn. Keep doing the same thing, down, up, turn. Eventually your skater will get some real airtime. Try playing a game just doing that, flicking A to get the hang of turning. Then, once you're comfortable doing that, the challenge to get points begins. Once you clear the rim of the half pipe, keep A held, but only while you're in the air. The tricky part is learning when to let go of A, 
because if you hold it too long, you'll wipe out. You'll start to really rack up points. And if you're wondering, don't bother doing any hand plants with B because you lose all your speed and you don't get many points doing that. So um, hopefully that's a clear explanation. <laughs> I uh, just myself ran through a game of half pipe and got 20,756 points. That's totally awesome and also tubular. So um, that's California games. Probably every Lynx owner knows this one, right? Um, I even once got my friends Francis, John, and Jay together and we played four players on it. It was mostly surfing and surfing with four players is super fun and is my crowning achievement out of anything I've ever done in my life. So suffice to say that California games on the Lynx lunch scale is five stars out of five. This game will eat your lunch and your friends' lunches. Wow, Bobby, thanks for the great tutorial on the halfpipe game in California games. As you may or may not recall, the halfpipe was my least favorite segment in that game. But now that I know your tricks and hints for the game, I really can't wait to try it out myself. Also, I love the jargon that you sprinkled in your audio, too. Gnarly, aggro. I can tell that you really are a pro at this game. And 20,000 points at halfpipe while playing with four comlinked players? I gotta say, that's totally tubular. And I love your lunch rating scale, by the way. Now, I understand that not everyone is a shooter fan, so I guess it's no surprise that Zorlor Mercenary didn't grab you like it did me. Bottom line, I'm likely more of a shooter than you are, but likely much less of a half-piper, is that a word, than you are. Anyway, thanks for your audio feedback, Bobby. It's always welcome, and I really enjoyed hearing from you. That music can only mean one thing, that I've got an audio submission from Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, who maintains his perfect attendance score for providing an audio submission for each and every episode of the Handicast so far. Here's what Shinto said about his experience with Zarlor Mercenary. Zarlor Mercenary was our second ever Lynx game behind Rampage. I probably mentioned this already, just like I mentioned how my brother and I were big fans of Xevious on the Atari 7800. Now, Xevious is a classic, of course, and the 7800 pulled off a great port, but from our perspective, Zarlor Mercenary offered so much more. Much more color and detail and so many more options and environments. You can see people running around, little people that I try not to shoot, but maybe I don't try very hard. You have real music and a damage meter and upgrades and maybe someday down the road the promise of multiplayer. Wow, so for a while, Zarlor Mercenary was our favorite top-down shooter. You can choose from a number of different avatars, each with their own default power-up, but I quickly grew to rely on XQ-49 with his wing cannons. Landru would have been my second choice. Dead last is Spike. I never found Spike very useful. I love the auto-targeting laser in this game. It's so fast and accurate. When I played the game and, of course, uh, had the laser power-up, I would rock my thumb between the A and B buttons, A, B, A, B, A, B, so that I could dispense as much firepower as possible. I think you do hear some sound cut out when you do this, not quite enough sound channels, I guess, but other than that, the thumb-rocking strategy is my go-to approach to playing the game. I think it works better on a Lynx 1 than a Lynx 2. There was a gradual progression through the game as we got better and better at it, learning where those instant kill enemies are going to appear in the ocean level, and in general learning the best place to be wherever we go to avoid the relentless flood of enemies. 
My brother, reading the manual, believed that if you kind of read between the lines, it seems to say that there's always a safe place for your ship on the screen. I sure didn't get that out of the manual, and there are places, like in the swamp level, where I'm pretty sure there is no safe refuge from attack. Or maybe I just forgot where those places were. I did beat this game twice, both times using XQ49, and the ending with him doesn't exactly give you a warm, fuzzy feeling, but beyond that, I, I don't really remember how it ends. I do still have my high score recorded, though, in the old high score binder, which tracks all of our Atari games for various systems. The top score is 729,289, set January 16th, 1992. Almost exactly 27 years ago as I record this, but uh, these days, 27 years later, I can't even get past the swamp. I love the music in Zarla Mercenary. I remember plugging our links into the home stereo and just playing the, the opening music, sharing it with the whole house. I'm not sure how the rest of the house took that, but eh, whatever. I remember when I found the code for the Game of Life, I spent so much time playing with that. I would use it as a drawing program, largely, kind of like a battery-powered Etch-A-Sketch. This wasn't my first time messing with the Game of Life. My dad had a very early touchscreen computer, the Hewlett Packard 150, and there was a version of this game for that machine where you would create the pattern by touching parts of the screen and then kick off the simulation. A much lower resolution, actually, than what we had on the Lynx. So I did the Game of Life thing a little bit on the Lynx, but most of the time I used it for drawing. I used it to find out what the screen resolution actually was, how many pixels wide and tall. I don't think that information was really readily accessible at the time. Of course, now you can find out the Lynx's screen resolution with like a five-second internet search. But back then, I spent a lot of time carefully drawing hash marks every five and every ten pixels and counting them out. There's a cheat that was going around. I originally saw it in Electronic Gaming Monthly that describes a rather convoluted method of getting full power-ups. And even though I was dubious back then, I didn't really believe it. I did try to replicate the steps many times and never got it to work as described. So I call shenanigans on that one. I see that there are a lot of other cheat codes out there, a lot of D-pad directions and stuff to give you a hundred lives and other goodies as well as codes to view the programmers. I I haven't tried those out, I just learned of their existence uh, like yesterday, but these sound like actual codes, unlike that old EGM one that's actually repeated on Atari Age. I hope you enjoyed your free game for sending in that bogus code, whoever you were. I do own two physical copies of Zarla Mercenary, it's one of the games that I own in duplicate, but I, I've spent very little time playing it over comlinks. I think my brother bought his own copy of the game when we parted ways because he liked it, so I don't ever remember comlinksing with him on this one. I did try it briefly with my kids, but they got clobbered so quickly, and well, I'm sorry to say I didn't last much longer. I used to be good at this one. Thanks, Shinto. I gotta say, I like playing as the XQ49 character as well when I play Zarla or Mercenary. I think the idea of a robot mercenary is so Battlestar Galacta-ish to me. I never tried rocking the A and B buttons back and forth, by the way, when I'm in the thick of shooting everything in sight, though. I gotta try that. And thanks for providing me with your own high score. 729,000 Zarbits. Wow. I think it's so cool that you still have your high score notebook from nearly 30 years ago. I have my high score book that I started back in 1981 or so, but there are no Lynx games in it because, sadly, I didn't own one at the time. 
Only Atari 2600 and TI-994A game scores are in my book. I've only briefly looked at the Game of Life Easter egg in Zarlor Mercenary. I must remember to try drawing on the screen with it someday like you used to do. Trouble is, when I plug the Zarlor Mercenary cartridge into my links, I just want to play Zarlor Mercenary. Go figure. Finally, if you want a wild and woolly go at getting through all six missions with no worrying about losing ships or ammo, try the cheat code that I mentioned earlier. It's a hoot and only takes about 15 minutes to complete the game. Cheers to you, Shinto, for all that you do for the retro gaming community with your own wonderful podcast, and especially for your very welcome audio submissions to my own meager podcast. Thanks. And with that, it only remains for me to say a very big thanks to everyone who took the time to contribute their thoughts and memories to this episode. I really appreciate it. And that's all I have for Zarlor Mercenary. My ammo and mega bombs are depleted. With this episode, we say so long forever to Epics Incorporated. I really hope everyone enjoyed my coverage of this mind-boggling top-down shooter, one of the best games ever produced for the Atari Lynx in my humble opinion. In the next episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast, I will be covering the Lynx's 3D take on the popular game Tetris, Clax. Clax Wave. So if you have any feedback for episode 12, Clax, please try to get that feedback to me through the usual channels as soon as possible so that I can be sure to include it in the next episode. And by usual channels, I mean Twitter, Facebook, email, Carrier Pigeon, Semaphore, Aldous Lamp, anything. And episodes of the Atari Lynx Handicast coming up after Clax are Episode 13, Warbirds, Episode 14, Kicks or Quicks, Episode 15, Basket Brawl, Episode 16, Robo Squash, and Episode 17, Road Blasters. Join me then, won't you? Until then, keep on Lynxing. Leaving so Thanks are in order for the Free Music Archive, which allows for the song 8-Bit Core by Tagirigus to be used as the opening and closing theme music for the Atari Lynx Handicast under the Creative Commons license. The Free Music Archive also allows for the following songs and artists to be used in this episode. Dawn of the Cosmos, Howling Down, An Innocent Sword, Knowing Nothing, Lion's Haven, and Waterfalls, all by Mid-Air Machine. I would also like to thank Ferg of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, Shinto of the Atari Jaguar Game by Game podcast, and Zerby of the many Zerbinator Land podcasts, including the excellent Please Stand By podcast. The help and inspiration that Ferg, Shinto, and Zerby have provided in my brief podcasting experience are invaluable to me, and I really appreciate it. Finally, I would also like to give my heartfelt thanks to my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She has put up with me and with this strange podcasting thing with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will definitely try. That's nudge, snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, sign them all. Thank you. 
the Atari Lynx Handicast is a proud member of the Throwback Network. You can listen to all of the great retro-themed podcasts on the network including this one, by visiting throwbacknetwork.com. Episodes of the Atari Lynx Handicast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Please take time to leave a review of the Atari Lynx Handicast on Apple Podcasts so that other interested listeners can easily find the Handicast. You can also find the Atari Lynx Handicast on Stitcher, on Google Play Music, on Spotify, and on TuneIn. While you're at it, be sure to check out the Atari Lynx Handicast website at atarilynxhandicast.net. All of the episodes can be found there, including show notes and a list of upcoming episodes. And you can visit the Atari Lynx Handicast blog page at atarilynxhandicast.blogspot.com. Also, you can subscribe to the Atari Lynx Handicast on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash Handicast. And you can follow the Atari Lynx Handicast on Twitter. Just search on Twitter for Lynx Handicast. Finally, you can send Mark Little an email and let him know what you think about any episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. You can also provide your own feedback about any Atari Lynx games. And you can even suggest future topics or possible interview subjects for future episodes. Or you can just simply say, Hi. Just write to him at Mark at AtariLynxHandicast.net Thank you for listening to this episode of the Atari Lynx Handicast. This is Montague Habersham, wishing you a good evening. The carton for Zarlor Mercenary is a regular-sized, full-color, standard flab... <laughs> standard flab. Finally, at the lower left of the back of the... There goes the oven. Even though we knew what every ear would, even though we knew every ear, uh, the idea was to collapse their military and disrupt. The idea was to collapse their military and disrupt their. Not disrupt. I don't think that's a word. The same screen also serves as the mercantary. <laughs> mercantary. The mercantary. There I go again. Although you may have trouble tracking down every scarce. Although you may have trouble tracking down every scarce... Scarce? What is scarce? The Atari Lynx Handicast is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.